Chapter Five of the Great Diamond Syndicate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Great Diamond Syndicate by Nicholas Carter. Chapter Five: Cunning Foes. That evening, while Chick sat in comfort on the north porch at the Maynard House strong in the belief that his chief had gone to new york in quest of a murderer and thief who was then in that house nick was standing in front of a small mean-looking store near chatham square there was a pawnbroker's sign over the door and diamonds were shown in the windows in goodly quantities on the door itself the top half of which was a glass was the line diamonds bought and sold below was the one word hartley the detective had reached the city at three o'clock and at once made up for an inspection of the diamond merchant's place of business standing across the street nick had the appearance of a sailor having a leave of absence and a desire to observe all that was worth seeing in the city presently nick went into the store and stood by the front counter which was covered with showcases each containing diamonds of all sizes and shades the salesman who came forward to wait upon him leaned on one of the cases carelessly and looked only casually at the pretended sailor i wants to sell me diamond said nick let's see it mate nick took from his pocket a superb stone worth fully five hundred dollars it was finely cut and had been removed from its setting in fact it was a stone which the detective frequently wore how much for it he asked where did you get it asked the clerk nick gave an impatient hitch to his breeches this hain't no bloomin police station is it he asked no was the reply but we like to know where the goods we buy come from nick put the stone back into his pocket and moved toward the door wait said the clerk how much do you want for it four hundred was the short reply i'll give you fifty dollars said the clerk nick went back and began to haggle with the clerk what he wanted was to keep in the store long enough to size it up thoroughly besides he had a notion that the two men who had been described as smelling of rum and talking like london might pay their respects to the diamond merchant now and then during the conversation nick walked to the front door and looked out into the street just across the way patsy next to chick his best assistant stood in a make-up similar to that worn by his chief Nick had an idea that the two sailors, who were evidently unused to the ways of New York crooks, would loiter about Hartley's place. Patsy was watching in the street for the reason that the men might visit the vicinity of the diamond shop without actually going in. If they came within sight, he was to motion to Nick if it were possible to make him see through the crowd, and if not, he was to go to the store after him but it was not necessary for patsy to signal to nick or to call him from the store as the chief approached the door after being in the establishment for some time he saw two men resembling the ones he sought standing in front of the store they were talking together earnestly making quick gestures with their hands nick passed out into the street and halted near them one of the men looked the detective over and approached him pushing pedestrians aside like a man in the fighting stage of intoxication. "'Hello, shipmate,' he said, laying a hand heavily on Nick's shoulder. 
doing biz with that bloomin chalk he won't buy replied nick he wants the bloomin earth he does he's a shark a indian ocean shark roared the sailor he's got to take a broadside for me the day you ain't out on the bloomin desert island now said nick you'll get in irons that's what you'll get if you lay alongside of that pirate here offered me fifty dollars for a five hundred dollar diamond that's what he did last him patsy came up at this moment and the four wandered away to a drinking place on the bowery and sat down at a table nick was by no means certain that the men he was with were the ones he sought they drank rum liberally at nick's expense but did not appear to get much the worse for their libations they cursed hartley from keel to topmast as one of them expressed it but refused to mention the cause of their hatred you're from london nick said after a time how is the old town nick knew london like a book and his reference to the music halls and sailor resorts set the men to talking we're going back when we gets brass enough one of them said we've come over ere on a bloomin cruise after the wind on the tops of the tall buildings that's what we as mate one of the men sprang to his feet i'm going after him he said you're drunk said the other let him alone if you're afraid to go i goes alone was the reply i'll go with you to see the shark said nick the sailor seized nick's hand and almost dragged him to the door we'll board the bloomin pirate he said the detective began to think that he had made no mistake in figuring on the movements of the two strange men this man is drunk he thought but not so drunk as he pretends to be he has probably nerved himself with liquor for an unpleasant interview if he is the man i suspect him to be the fact is likely to come out in the talk between the merchant and himself if he is not one of the sailors who appeared at the maynard house yesterday i shall soon know that the detective was now in a section of new york where the life of a man known to be in quest of lawbreakers is hardly safe the lawless ones of the great city often make that section their home when pursued by officers of the law and will defend each other to the death the establishment of the diamond merchant was ostensibly respectable but there were in police records accounts of men and women who had entered the half-glazed door possessed of valuable gems and had never returned to their former haunts nick knew that the outlaws of new york boasted that there were hidden cellars and secret rooms and stairways in the buildings of that quarter which no officer had ever been able to discover the sailor entered the store and advanced toward the rear which was dimly lighted by a yellow jet of gas the daylight which came through the dusty glass in front not penetrating into the back of the long room there on a high stool at a standing desk bent over the pages of a great book of accounts was a man with iron-gray hair and stooping shoulders he glanced up as the two men approached and nick made a mental note of the keenest black eyes he had ever seen under a mass of gray hair the sailor stepped up to the desk and laid his arm insolently on a pile of books at the merchant's elbow then he steadied himself and glared at the figure before him you are here again are you asked the merchant impatiently i told you to keep away from here you know what i come for said the sailor sullenly who is that with you demanded the diamond merchant suspiciously 
maid I picked up out here. If your maid has influence with you, said the merchant, I advise him to use it in getting you aboard a ship as soon as possible. Hartley is playing a bold game, thought Nick. And out our coin, then, said the sailor, and we'll go soon enough. We have had enough of this, said Hartley. You must cease to persecute me or take the consequences. However, this is no matter to discuss before a third party. Come with me, and you, matey, remain where you are. Hartley moved toward a rear door, accompanied by the sailor, and Nick stepped back to a chair which stood at the end of the counter, hidden from the front by a stack of boxes and books. The clerk in front walked back and saw that the detective was in the chair, and returned to the front, seemingly to watch through the door for customers. The thing for Nick to do now was to listen to the conversation, which was to take place between the men who had just left him. But how? There were two doors opening from the room to the rear, one was at about the middle of the store, and the other was close to the wall at the left, and about opposite the chair in which Nick sat. Hartley and the sailor had passed through the center door, so this probably led to another room. The other door, being near the wall, undoubtedly led to a hallway running to the rear of the building. Nick resolved to investigate. Seeing that his weapons were handy, he moved toward the side door, being careful to keep below the top of the long desk. The clerk was apparently busy in front, and did not hear the door open, as Nick supposed, and so the detective stepped into a dark passage, and prepared to bring his flash into use. Then, before he could take the lantern from his pocket, he heard a sharp click, like the movement of a metallic spring, and dropped into the darkness. The floor had fallen away beneath his feet, and he was sliding down a well of a place which seemed scores of feet deep, and just large enough in diameter to permit the passage of his body. It was the old trick of Lower New York, which had been worked thousands of times, and will be worked as many times more. Nick, who had been up against a trapdoor game before, would naturally have been more careful in that treacherous establishment, only for the fact that he believed his disguise perfect, and Hartley rather above the murder of inquisitive men, whom he had had no occasion to suspect of greater interference with his plans than the opening of a door for the purpose of listening to a forbidden conversation. As Nick dropped into the dark tunnel, he heard a trap-door close above his head, and at the same instant his right heel caught in what seemed to be little more than a horizontal crevice in the wall of the place. At the moment of falling he had crowded his feet out to the sides, and his hands to the front, in hope of finding some break to check his fall. Finding that his heel was slipping from the place where it rested, Nick drew out his knife, which opened as he removed it from his pocket, the blade being controlled by a spring at the back, and drove it into the wall to his left. Supported by this and by the foothold on the right, the detective began an investigation of the place. He could have used his lantern readily enough, as the right hand was free, but he was afraid of watching eyes, so he groped about in the darkness, hoping to find an outlet about where his heel had struck. He understood the trap games of New York well enough to know that the shaft communicated with more than one basement of the building, which was an old one and probably full of devices for the destruction of unwelcome guests. If he could come upon a door connecting with the floor directly underneath the store, 
the trick of the diamond merchant might after all be turned to good advantage a careful examination of the wall on the right convinced the detective that the door to the first basement was where his foot had struck that in fact his heel rested on a bit of flooring under the crack of the door now he thought i wonder which way this door opens if they throw people down here it opens into the room if they back people up against the wall and let them fall in it opens into the shaft ah here it is the door gave way under the pressure of nick's foot and a faint light crept into the shaft there was a light at the front of the first basement and men were there engaged in unpacking boxes it was no easy matter for nick to change his position so as to pass through the doorway but he succeeded at last and stood in the shadows cast by the flaring gas-jet in front he knew that those at work could not see him so he moved about with considerable confidence the basement was used for storing and packing and unpacking goods of many kinds at the back where nick stood it was well-nigh filled with boxes of various sizes at the right of the basement facing from the front was a stairway running to the store floor above this the detective thought might lead to the rear room where the talk between the diamond merchant and the sailor was in progress he mounted the steps halfway and paused listening for the sound of voices as he waited he thought with wonder at the position in which he found himself that a new york merchant of the apparent respectability of hartley should occupy a place of business set with a man-trap of the character which had caught him was incredible enough but that he should actually bring it into use was almost beyond belief it meant much to the detective it showed him that the establishment was one in which such devices were considered necessary to the business of the proprietor and therefore one which should be broken up by the police it was almost incredible that such a den should exist within a few blocks of broadway presently the sound of voices came to the ears of the listening detective first he heard the smooth tones of the merchant saying you have betrayed me and you cannot deceive me again the best thing you can do is to leave the country and leave it at once how can we go off without the coin tell me that answered the voice of the sailor i'll split on the game if we don't get our own what have you done with the diamonds demanded the merchant nick bent forward eagerly at last his quest was to be crowned with results what diamonds could be meant save the one stolen from the maynard home i give them to the bloomin toff you sent up there was the angry reply that is not true said the merchant you gave him a counterfeit package and stood by while he packed it in the trunk and checked the trunk from the moment the trunk was closed in your presence it was never open again until it was brought here you stole the diamonds and now you try to blackmail me this is something like thought nick the diamonds were placed in the trunk as i supposed and shipped here hartley says he never received them sailor says he delivered them to the agent now which one lies and where are the diamonds it's a lie shouted the sailor your bloomin pirate got the gems you talk of splitting on the game continued the merchant what do you know of the murder which took place at the maynard house on the night of your visit there that's gaff gaff is it demanded hartley read the newspapers when you go out and see if i speak the truth 
Maynard was murdered in his bed on the night you secured the diamonds. You'll both find yourselves in the electric chair if you say too much about the affair. Slout me, cried the sailor. I don't know of any murder. Hi. The merchant interrupted him. I don't want to know anything about it, he said. I merely repeat my former advice, which is to get out of the country. Nick waited in vain for the sailor to go on. What words were on his tongue when so suddenly checked? He made general denial. Who, then, had murdered Alvin Maynard? Where were the diamonds? Nick was listening to the voice of one of the men who had stolen the gems, yet he was no nearer a solution of the murder mystery than before. He believed what the man said regarding the murder. He had not even known of it until informed by the merchant. Even now he seemed to doubt the truth of the statement. I'll land him in the tombs when he leaves here, thought Nick, and we'll see about the murder later. It is possible that, after all, he knows where the diamonds are, and yet men of his character don't usually hang about for a little money when in the possession of half a million in diamonds. But Nick's plans were defeated by something which happened on the floor above. He heard a quick blow, a fall, and then the groans of a man in agony. As he was about to spring up the stairs and through the door at the top, the sound of another voice came to his ears. How was that for a knockout? It was the coarse voice of a bully. Very well done, replied the merchant. Put him in the shaft with his mate. Croak him? asked the other. No, fix him up so that he won't know his own name when he is able to be about again, was the reply. End of chapter 5 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona